on ABC Grandstand Digital. This is more than just a game. More than just a game. Yes, welcome to More Than Just a Game, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here, and joining me today for a very special World Cup edition of More Than Just a Game is uh, first up our resident football expert, David Gill. Get out of you, Bear. Good day, Rachie. Uh, feeling the strain a little bit a few weeks into the World Cup. Need a little bit more sleep. Had a, had a bit more, had a bit of caffeine before you came uh, came on air here. And to Simon Johnson, John, are you also going through a bit of sleep deprivation, mate? Certainly for the Socceroos, of course, Rochi, um, but mm, great to be here. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, just notwithstanding the Socceroos' departure, are you enjoying the tournament, Gilly? I am. I actually enjoyed the first week, and I've actually, uh, my stamina is running low. I need to have a night off, and kind of, <laughs> I find myself watching games and just zoning out for five minutes, and then shaking myself and going, oh yeah, football, watching the football. I'm watching the four-minute highlights packages on a, a certain uh, app or website that we'll talk about shortly. We will, we will. Yeah, they need a rest day, perhaps, occasionally, Gilly, for the for the viewer. Sorry, that's uh, like getting fast food, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 2020. Budget. On the show ahead of us, devoted to Russia 2018, we'll be looking at that streaming debacle here in Australia, and we'll be talking to sports geek Sean Callanan shortly to get his thoughts on the issue. Also, the geopolitics of World Cups, who's been seen with who at this tournament, and indeed, who voted for who in the awarding of the 2026 version social media world cup jersey fashion the list goes on and uh, we've even found some uh, some juicy world cup morsels for red card yellow card don't forget you can drop us a line or follow us on twitter at mtjag grandstand subscribe via itunes but for now let's kick off the world cup edition of more than just a game more than just a game on abc grandstand digital well, the brave new world of streaming games of the World Cup dawned upon us in June, with, of course, Optus entering into an agreement with SBS to stream the majority of the tournament's matches exclusively. How that effort went has been well documented. Uh, significant technical issues led to some very disgruntled fans, Optus handing back uh, all the group games to SBS and indeed refunding all their subscribers' cash. Did anyone give the Optus, uh, Optus version of things a go? Uh, yeah, I did, and I have done, and... It- it's actually worked okay for me. I haven't watched live games, but it is a pretty good app for watching the highlights packages and watch, watching the mini games. Mm-hmm. SBS was carrying enough for me, the non, non-die-hard. non Gilly, uh, what about yourself? I've been uh, loyal to SBS. Oh, very good, very good. <laughs> a test cricket traditionalist. Uh, so look, how does the Australian experience, uh, that ex- experience in particular, compare with what's going on elsewhere in the world? And indeed, what does it mean for the future of streaming in this country? Well, joining us now to discuss what in social media became to be known as Floptus is uh, the sports geek himself, Sean Callan. And Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for your time. Now, listen, first up, Sean, without getting too techy on us, we're a sports show, are you, are you able to shed any light on what sort of went wrong from a technical perspective for, for Optus? Oh, I think I think if I knew that, I'd be hired by Optus right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Was this a was this a problem unique to Australia? I mean, the, the, I assume there's a lots of the very big numbers of streaming of the World Cup finals around the world. Is this experience that we've we've had here with Optus unique to us, or how's how's it pan out for others? Oh, not not entirely. I think Optus is the uh, I guess the probably one of the worst cases uh, in in how they've rolled it out. Um, but streaming is still relatively new, and it's definitely re- it's definitely new in a World Cup sense. Uh, there wasn't streaming, there wasn't viable streaming products four years ago, and um, 
FIFA and the Olympics, because they run in these four-year cycles, they sort of they sort of lag a little bit behind the the, the technology. They don't have the uh, the ability for uh, the big leagues in the states, uh, you know, the NBA, the NFL, uh, the major league baseball, that kind of thing, to be running something every year. Um, so they so they're legal and tech deals uh, a little bit behind. So this was really the first truly digital, truly streaming uh, World Cup. Um, and yeah, so it, it came about that SBS bought the rights, then SBS had some budget cuts and needed some money. So they unsold some of those rights and Optus is in currently in uh, acquisition mode and wants to uh, become a player in the sports space. And they saw uh, the world game as uh, as an option. Um, they'd already made the they made the big play for the Premier League rights uh, 12 months earlier, and then when the when push came to shove, um, they did not uh, I guess do sufficient demand testing. Now whether that's completely on the Optus technicians and their infrastructure, or partly uh, it could also be on just the poor internet infrastructure that that Australia has. Uh, you know we're notorious for not having great great internet, I think that also would have played a part. Do you think devotees um, of streaming, especially live sports streaming, will, will, will they be having second thoughts now? Is it sort of um, a situation of, um, you know, once burnt, twice shy? Well, I th- to a certain degree, yes. I mean, I think uh, Optus has already come out and said that they're committed to the, committed to the strategy. Um, we've seen uh, the uh, tennis and the, and the cricket change hands and... Um, both parties have also tried to get some digital rights and some streaming access. So the the seven, uh, sorry, the nine deal with the tennis, uh, they've actually got all the rights and all the digital rights and all the catch-up rights and all the social media rights. So uh, TV uh, partners in in particular want those extra rights. Um, but the but the other thing is is that yeah, there's a bit of brand damage and and a bit of damage in the market on do we trust this streaming product, um, which is which is tough. Um, and so, but the other thing is, you know, even though this has been a massive failure, there's other products that are working, uh, do work really well, uh, that are well consumed. I think the, Australia has the highest number of uh, league NBA league pass subscribers mm. per capita because mm. um, it's a great product. Major League Baseball and uh, the, uh, the WWE that are both on a Major League Baseball advanced media platform, that works. You hit the button and it works. So... I think the consumers are now looking to, you know, buy the sports they want to watch and try to understand how they go about doing it. I think because this was so mainstream, like I think a lot of people got to Thursday before the World Cup and didn't realise SBS didn't have it all. Hmm. And so I think that causes as much frustration as anything else. And Sean, you talk about, um, I guess there have been some good examples of, of streaming and, and you talk about these other rights that have been up for, for sale, digital rights that have been up for sale in recent times. This has got to have a, a fairly big negative impact on, on the value of streaming rights going forward, doesn't it? I imagine there'd be some sports administrators that would be a bit concerned that they're not going to get the same price that they may necessarily have got previously. Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, but again, it's also, it still drives eyeballs. And sport if sport drives eyeballs, it's still drives money so the you know the recent afl and nrl deals that are now you know for the next six years they're sorted tennis is sorted cricket sorted so we're going to in this stable period and where the rights won't come up for five or six years um i i don't like um comparing the australian market too much to the american market one because of size there's 330 million people there and then the other thing is, is they've got much they've got a far more transient population 
there'll be there'll be Dodgers fans in Boston and there'll be Red Sox fans in LA. Whereas in Australia, we sort of stay where we stay. You know, there, there will be Collingwood fans in Perth, but not that many that won't see every game that they want to see on free to air. So, so the digital product that works so well in the states, um, because if you want to watch a Red Sox game and you're in LA, the only way to watch it is via a digital product. Mm. And so there's a so it's a different market. And so just literally picking up that model and saying it's going to work here when we're really primarily based around five cities, it, it's not exactly there. So we're still, we're still, it's still not mature in that space. Um, you know, even if you're looking at the AFL's product, it has uh, a, a screen restriction, so it can't go past, I think it's seven inches. So it's because they don't oh, really? want to compete. They don't <laughs> want to compete with the, with the TV, mm-hmm. with channel seven and Fox that kind of thing. So the digital product the AFL have in internationally um, is terrific. You can hit the button and and it and watch it on your big screen. So it's quite funny when I, you know, would see an NBA player like Andrew Bogut when he was in the states, he'd be watching an Essendon game on his big screen, <laughs> and uh, people in Australia were only watching on their on their small screen because the, the the broadcasters are so dominant in this space. So that's sort of where it's hard to compare. I guess, different markets. It's an interesting point about the movement of the population uh, you make there, Sean. But also, I want to ask you another question around rights, uh, following on from Jono's question. Yep. So would you say then that awarding... Uh, so the typical TV rights is, you know, four years, five years, maybe six years. Is that too long a period for which to be awarding digital rights because of the way, the, rapid, the, the rapidness, if that's a word, with which things are changing the digital bracket streaming world? Oh, yeah, uh, potentially, but... Uh, it depends on which side of the equation you're asking the question to. Um, you know, the AFL and the NRL and the cricket—they've all they've, they've taken their money, um, and you know it's it's bird in hand uh, effectively. Um, I mean, previous rights—I uh, think Telstra way back in the day had had rights uh, in the AFL to the internet. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to, they could have stopped all the clubs using you know little startups called Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> um, but they didn't. Um, but, they, but that's where the you know again that's where the league the legal and the and the tech sort of trying to catch up with one another. So I think that's about the only uh, the only catch those kind of things um, where you might sort of legally put yourself in a bit of a bind for a few years. But most of the team uh, most of the rights holders in the Australian market and in the US market. I mean the NBA two years ago signed a nine year deal. Um, if the money's big enough, they'll take the money, um, and then it's up to the TV company, cable provider, telco, um, to recoup their money. Uh, if they want to recoup their money or if they do it as a business model to bring in new customers. Sean, the um, news in Australia has uh, clearly been dominated by the Floptus debacle, which I think we can call an unmitigated disaster. Um, yep. But looking at technology more generally in terms of how it's been used for this World Cup, is there anything new, exciting that's been successfully done mm. for, for Russia 2018? Oh, other than other than VAR, which has obviously had, uh, had ups and downs in the Australian space. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, as I was talking about before, the four-year cycle, um, the guys at FIFA have really embraced social. So that we've seen far more uh, content on these platforms because, again, FIFA has been, a, has been a business that's been powered by TV contracts. They've been paid a lot of money by you know, TV providers around the world. And so they've sort of blocked and restricted what was happening on social. And uh, FIFA has sort of opened that up a little bit um, in this in this World Cup when, with sharing content on Instagram stories and uh, highlights on, on Facebook and, and Twitter. And 
it seems for a more social, uh, more social game uh, World Cup than it has been in the past. Um, and you know the Olympics have been the same. So I think allowing them a little bit of leeway to be able to put some of that content on those platforms will drive you back into the into the apps and will drive you back into watching the replays and will drive you back into um, into actually watching the games. And that's you know that, that's following the lead of you know I think uh, the NBA is the one that does it best where there's so much content that's getting shared on on social you're sort of drawn into the games and Adam Silver the commissioner of the NBA calls them uh, called social snacks uh, to bring people back for the full meal that is the whole game so I think that that's been that's been really good for what uh, what FIFA have done around the World Cup and and social and Jordan, you mentioned the bunk, uh, sorry, the VAR, and I can't uh, let let that pass. Um, as the sports geek, what, what do you think about the uh, the use of the VAR? I see that there's um, four separate video referees sitting in that bunker. How do you think that's gone so far in the World Cup? Oh well, I haven't had to reboot at mid game. Uh, <laughs> you know, considering what happened in the uh, in the A League, um, uh, I, I guess I, I, I guess you know it's uh, new technology. It's always going to have some some quirks, uh, um, you know, it's, it's hopefully it gets better as far as what it can do, but it's only really just another person's opinion just delayed. So it, there's not, you know, until we actually can get, you know, the, the goal line technology and I don't know somehow the ball detect that it did touch a hand and those kind of things, um, it's still someone's judgment, whether there's a camera there or not. Um, it's just putting extra referees effectively um, on the game, but hopefully they get the right decision. It's got to be. Hopefully. It's got to be a thousand times better than the uh, AFL's goal review system. But we won't go down that track. Uh, <laughs> Sean, technology and sport. Uh, there's plenty for you to talk about it, uh, and it'll keep you busy for long into the future, no doubt. Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. No problems. All right, Sean Callan in there from uh, Sports Geek. Uh, feel free to look him up on Twitter at Sports Geek. Uh, and uh, yes, as you might have got the impression, spends all his time. Uh, bouncing around the world, uh, consulting to people and doing talks at uh, conferences and so forth around the uh, impact and the change of, of sport, uh, of technology, I should say, in sport. The other thing uh, to come out of, of the, uh, the Floptus debacle, hashtag Floptus, is uh, the way it was actually handled. Uh, and, you know, Optus had a, a, a crisis on its hands, certainly from a PR point of view. They had a, a, a PR crisis on their hands and um, I don't know from all, for all the technical failing I think they probably handled it reasonably well there's a lot there, a lot must go into to the way a company very rapidly responds to a very public uh, failure yeah look I think this is the ultimate in um, PR crisis management isn't it just to see and I think it's a really interesting story to see how Optus handled it and to compare it, if you like, to how um, some other large corporations have handled not similar PR disasters, but major crises within their businesses in mm -hmm. recent years. Mm -hmm. So a, a recent one, AMP has dominated the financial press for, for a long time. Um, the board in that decision decided to blame its general counsel. The managing director resigned. But the, the chairwoman, Catherine Brenner, refused to resign. The share price tanked, pressure built in the press. Eventually, the chair the chairwoman was, was forced to resign effectively. Mm, yep. So there was no apology. There was no acceptance of blame there, mm. which is different to the Optus situation. Yeah. The other <clears throat> example, um, Dreamworld. I mean, oh, that's fresh in the press at the moment, yeah. obviously going through the tragic story. But the interesting thing that with that one was the managing director at the time was criticised for not meeting the victims' families personally and not apologising personally. Personally, if you compare that to Optus, I mean, the first rule of managing a PR crisis, according to the experts, is that mm. you apologise quickly, 
unreservedly. Um, and that's exactly what the Optus Managing Director did. I think where he went wrong, though, in this situation, Alan Liu, was he gave a commitment which he couldn't meet. So if you recall, mm. when it first blew up, he mm. said, I will have this fixed by Wednesday. Now, it was he had, 48 hours, basically, he, wasn't it? He had Malcolm Turnbull yeah. on the phone giving him a call and saying, Alan, what's going on? Well, I think, I think Malcolm was going, Alan, what's, the, what's, this, what's this World Cup thing that everyone's yeah, telling me about? Yeah, I hear that Mike Jednak's playing in it. No, that was, t- <laughs> that was Tony Abbott, I know. A, but, t- um, a tough week for the Optus CTO, yeah, I imagine. It, it was. But look, I think, I mean, just from my point of view with this one, um, they did try, but that was the big problem. Um, they didn't deliver on the promises for a mediation. Um, I do think, though, I mean, there will be long-lasting brand damage for this. If you compare it to Vodafone, remember years ago mm. you had the network issues for them, oh, yeah. became known as Vodafone. And, I mean, Vodafone, it took four or five years for Vodafone to come back from that. They lost heaps of customers, um, you know, massive reputational issue. I think it really will bite with Optus for quite some time to come. They hmm. really have copped it sweet, though, and even even with the commitment, fair enough, they didn't meet the 48-hour remediation plan, but then they immediately gave more games to SBS. Now they've given all games to SBS, and I think, Simon, you, you received a reimbursement just today. I did receive a reimbursement. Oh. I got my $13.95 along with a very delightfully framed... <laughs> personal email framed it was framed framed up uh the email was sent to me and um look you know it used you all the, it? it used all the beautiful words it says we can't undo what happened but we can try to make amends unfortunately simon we let we let you <laughs> really? down unfortunately no, it, say it did say dear simon <laughs> unfortunately simon we let you down again as fellow football fans we offer our sincere apologies for any inconvenience caused beautiful because i mean you know it's not like they didn't know exactly how many subscribers they had right Sure, you look at your, you know, they know the three decimal places, how many subscribers they have. You'd think you'd, you'd have the hardware. Sean, and As Sean said, though, apparently a whole bunch of people signed up in the last few days, and that was mm. me. So I only signed up the day before the World Cup, mm. and I expect there would have been a massive spike in volume for them, so maybe they weren't geared up for it. That's mm. my technical take on it. No, actually, but the whole one. idea was to get more subscribers to kind of boost their EPL subscribers mm. for the coming season. So, geez, Might have backfired there, mightn't it, from yeah. a strategic uh, kind of move. Somebody somewhere made a horrible mistake, I think. Yeah, John, I was speaking to a bit of a, a PR expert myself as well. It's, it sounds like you might have. And um, yeah, the mayor culpa. Get in the mayor culpa nice and early and hand on heart and uh, fess up. I, I, was, I was remiss of me at the beginning of the show not to uh, mention our fourth member, Stephen Riley, who is not able to uh, make the show. I think he's, isn't he jetting off to do some research in Italy and Croatia in a couple of years so. in That's the near, right. very near future? Tough to So I was speaking to him briefly today and he made the very good point that this whole thing was a great victory for SBS, a great strategic masterstroke if indeed they meant it, which they couldn't have obviously not, not being able to foresee what uh, what would happen to Optus. But um, the, you pay for the rights, you offload some of the rights, sure you get a free uh, weekly EPL game and then you get all the rights back. That's right. <laughs> so it's worked out perfectly for, uh, for SBS if nothing else. All right, folks, uh, well, hope you're enjoying the World Cup and uh, with a bit like the soccer, we'll do better next time. So, yes, as promised, still on the World Cup. As with any other high-profile sport event at the World Cup, it's important to be seen with the right people. And uh, I'm not just talking about the social pages here. In fact, I'm not talking at all about the social pages. It's the power brokers. They mix with the players and indeed each other. 
I mean, we, we had our very own axis of evil at the opening game. I thought it was quite funny with uh, Vladimir Putin there in one corner, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman uh, on the other side, and refereeing was uh, head of FIFA Gianni Infantino, <laughs> all sitting side by side there in the royal box or whatever it was. Didn't they look like they were having such a good time? I mean, the conversation in that room it was dire. <laughs> was uh, Vladimir wearing a shirt at the time? He wasn't uh, you know, oh, dear. coming on a horse or anything like I that. didn't see that no. bit. No. They missed a trick there, didn't they? Yeah, would have been a good little cultural opening, touchstone for the opening ceremony. ceremony. Yeah, exactly. It is Robbie Williams, but it's in, yeah, it's interesting. Some of the, the players, uh, the one that really stood out for me is uh, Mo Salah, of course, the uh, from Egypt. He got somehow co-opted into a photo opportunity with Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov, or some such, and uh, quite nod to Lucy Zelich and the team at SBS, who uh, you know I'm, I'm sort of a bit chastened. I need to do a bit more research on my on my names. Pronunciations. Les Murray would be proud. Yeah, we might talk a bit more about that a little later on. But um, anyway, it's so the Chechen leader, and it, the Egyptians were based uh, in Grozny, so the capital inverted commas of Chechnya. Not that it's actually a separate country, but um, so the story goes that Mo was actually dragged out of bed. Uh, to, to, to come along and get his photo taken uh, with uh, Ramzan. Uh, it's interesting because uh, you might have seen the photo. So Kadyrov has this hallmark beard of, of the ultra-conservative Muslims known as the Salafis, and he has indeed in, enforced uh, some strict Islamic rules in Chechnya. And, uh, you know, I think he's sort of known for actively enforcing uh, certain values to the detriment of, of certain sections of the society of people that live there. And I thought this is curious because the Egyptian government, by contrast, has shown very little tolerance for political Islam. Uh, for example, ousting the Muslim Brotherhood only a few years ago. Democratically elected Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, yes, it's funny, isn't it? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and indeed, they for years have been fighting an insurgency led by Islamic mil- uh, militants. And it was interesting that... Uh, Salah was later granted honorary citizenship by uh, by Mr. Kadyrov. Tell you what, it's it's tough to be a World Cup player these days. If you go back forty or fifty years, you you had to play, but that's all you had to do. You turned up, you played, you did your best. No scrutiny. No scrutiny. Like if there's one camera at the ground. And these days, you not only, only five dollars though. But yeah, go on. <laughs> these days, not only do you need to be a supremely gifted footballer, but you need to have a keen understanding of global geopolitics <laughs> to avoid mm. compromising your team's performance um, in the tournament. So, a similar example was the German players of Turkish extraction, oh, yeah. Mesut Özil Özil. and Ilkay Gundogan, um, and they've they've kind of <laughs> stepped well, in it, stepped in it um, twice within the last twelve months. First of all. Mm. Um, um, during a pre-World Cup friendly, um, Angela Merkel, uh, who at that time was facing challenges in Germany um, due to immigration levels and in particular very large um, Turkish population in Germany. So she um, decided that she would get a bit of political mileage of having a few Turkish players on the German team and came into the dressing room after a match, had photos taken and the players were heavily criticised. And then just before the World Cup, um, Mesut and Ilkay were in London and the Turkish Prime Minister, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, was there at the same time and they were asked to meet him and he asked for a photo and then he used that uh, for political purposes uh, as well. Uh, Germany has, over, I think, over one million um, Turks hmm. who are all eligible to vote. Um, in the Turkish elections. Wow, but smart play. He, yeah. he, can't actually, he can't actually do any campaign advertising in Germany, so this is a great way for Erdogan to get some free publicity. But mm. the players, again, Pawns. He, heavily, heavily criticised by the non-Turkish members of German society. And probably explains Germany's uh, dire performance in the World Cup, perhaps, it, the, mm. uh, the lack of unity amongst it, that team. It could. Mesut was looking very unhappy um, when, I, when I saw him on the field. 
during the World Cup. I think it will be interesting, though, if you're talking about um, you know interesting bedfellows. Mm-hmm. I think Vladimir will no doubt have to hand out the World Cup at the uh, the end of the uh, the tournament. Hope, Who do hope, we think? Hope hopefully, he does. hopefully, hope he does. Um, hopefully it's him rather than the president of FIFA. But if it is Vlad. What would be the most embarrassing team? I mean, the Germans are out now. I think that would have been a, a tough one if, you know, he had to have a chat to Angela Merkel. I think the English, that'd be hard. The, mm-hmm. the English are looking okay. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, why would, well. why would it be embarrassing? Well, for, for... it'd be fair to say Russia and England aren't best of friends at oh, the moment. Oh, I see what you mean. I mean Russia, Russian diplomats having been expelled from, uh, from England. Um, yeah, I, I think that'd be a tough one. Anyone else? Yeah, well, I think France for similar similar reasons. Mr. Macron has been very critical of Russia in recent times. Politics and sport. Mm. Uh, Vlad would really be hoping that Switzerland win. You can rely, yeah. <laughs> one thing you can rely on is Swiss neutrality. neutrality. Uh, I think even had, had Australia won, that would have been awkward given Tony Abbott once threatened to shirt front him. That's true. Um, That's true. Mexico would be another awkward one. For, there's, a, there's lots of awkward. Really. Yeah. Mexico, because Putin's pal Trump obviously wants to build a wall. Yeah, uh, Putin's pal. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, there's lots of lots of different things. Uh, look onto the TV broadcast, and and not so much in Australia, but a little bit of contretemps over in the Middle East. Uh, FIFA has confirmed apparently that it's considering taking taking legal action against a Saudi Arabian TV station called Be Out Q. That's kind of how it's, how it reads. I'm sure I've not pronounced that correctly. Uh, now, which is illegally broad, well, allegedly illegally broadcasting the World Cup in the Middle East. Now, um, I don't think there's anything allegedly about uh, it, from what I've read. I can, I don't have to say that because it's yeah. in a wrong, a different jurisdiction. Yeah, I'd like to see the Saudi Arabian um, TV broadcaster <laughs> sue you over here. So, <laughs> so what I love, so being sport, the uh, sort of old Al Jazeera sport, has the rights for the Middle East, basically, and uh, which a lot of countries don't like that don't like because being sport slash Al Jazeera is a Qatari-based organisation. And the Qataris are a bit on the nose with a lot of the rest of the Middle East at risk of turning this into a, a geopolitics lesson. Um, because I think there's some suspicions, correct me if I'm wrong, that the Qataris are sort of funding some of the Islamists and some of the terrorists. Backrolling that's the, that's Ira- the accus- Iranian interests, I okay, think. Okay, so that's the accusation. Um, so what this Saudi TV station is, is doing... Uh, is taking is pirating the feed from from being sport. It's blatant by the by the sound. And of so it. what it doesn't end there. So what being sport did then is put on a ticker on the bottom of its broadcast, so that would then appear on the pirated pirated stations. What then be out Q did was put its own ticker over the top of that. They out ticked them. <laughs> Double tick. <laughs> <Out-ticked. laughs> That's brilliant. Um, but it's yeah. amazing. I, but I guess be out Q can kind of argue that they could take a bit of moral high ground here, be, be because BIN were not telecasting in Saudi Arabia at all. So if you were Saudi Arabian, you had no access. You could not watch the World Cup at all. I think it was the first time Saudi Arabia had been in the World Cup for a while. For a while. Yeah. Um, so they were really doing a, a public service to the people of Saudi Arabia. B- B-I-N, yeah. is that how you pronounce it, is it? I've B-I-N, just looked yeah. at it as B-I-N. Yeah, right B-I-N. There you go. Learn something new today. Uh, and like, I think Egypt went something went through something similar with them because there was a bit of toing and froing with e- Egypt. And for a time there, they weren't going to get it, but came to some sort of, uh, you know, Mutually beneficial arrangement, I think. But um, look, the other little footnote, because of course Qatar is hosting the next World Cup, is that Qatar, as I say, is not getting on with its neighbours. And, and Qatar is this little pimple of land that juts off Saudi Arabia into the Persian Gulf. So it's 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 um, surrounded by water, but for a small border with the Saudis. And the Saudis, for various reasons, are considering, I think, you know, I don't know how seriously, uh, building a moat, <laughs> building a channel between yeah. it and Qatar, turning it into an island. <laughs> I, I saw that. I know. What What are they hoping to achieve by doing that? Is it a, some kind of symbolic gesture? I know they're trying to revamp their economy. It just seems like a spectacularly bad use of petrodollars. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And, 
John Jones. You talk about the uh, the Qatari World Cup. What about the 2024 World Cup? Or even the 2026 one? I should yeah. say. Yeah. How's, so how's this, is fa- this is fascinating, though. The United bid, bid one. Yep. What strange bedfellows we have. Canada, Mexico, and the USA. I mean, you just have to th- think that through a little bit, mm-hmm. don't you? Um, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau apparently has a special place reserved in hell, according to Donald Trump. <laughs> and Mexico, I mean, do we need to mention the war? And it's... the Don loves the NAFTA trade agreement too. He they're they're exactly, all getting on yeah. famously. It's, trade, it's, Let's, it's, it's Sport amazing. brings people together, fellas. It transcends politics. I did, I did like how Trump was tweeting, though, in the lead up to the voting, no doubt trying to influence everyone's votes. Um, his, his tweet was, the US has put together a strong, in capital letters, bid with Canada and Mexico for the 2026 World Cup. It would be a shame if countries that we always support were to lobby against the US bid. Why should we be supporting those countries when they don't support us? Good to see FIFA really coming down hard on its very clear mandate (laughs) not to let politics get in the road of football. Good on you, FIFA. Um, There was a change to the voting system, though. Yes, this is interesting. Go on. Yeah, so, I mean, it used to be a secret vote amongst the 22 FIFA Executive Committee. Hence a lot of the problems that we've had around the recent... An open vote, as I understand it this time. So Mm. 200 member nations actually held an open vote. Wasn't a tough decision from what I understand. Their only competition was Morocco. Morocco, yep. Um, and Morocco, I think, scored, what was it? They had to be rated in relation to their readiness by FIFA. I think FIFA. it was 2.5. 2.5 or 2.6 out yeah. of 5. And if you scored less than 2.5 out of 5, then you were automatically knocked out. So I think it was a pretty comfortable vi- and win. Yeah, the end result was a ratio of 2 to 1, roughly, I think, something like that, or maybe 3 to 2. But yeah, it was comfortable. But uh, I love, yeah, and because it was, it was transparent. It, it was 200, it was transparent. Uh, so you know who voted for who, as I sort of alluded to earlier on. So FIFA and transparency, two words oh, you've never heard look, in the same sentence it's before. It's a changing landscape, Jono. Um, so despite the Trump, Kim, Kim Jong-un um, palliness lately, North Korea voted for Morocco, uh, as did China, and also Taiwan. I think uh, Qatar did as well. And then, as I was alluding to earlier, their mates, Saudi Arabia, UAE and Bahrain, went for the United bid. Uh, Mm. And apparently Iran just couldn't bring itself to bid for either. Same. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, look, uh, you know, we could go on and on about the World Cup and we shall shortly in the shootout. So stick around. Uh, You're with uh, Simon Johnson, David Gill and myself, Paul Roach, on More Than Just a Game. And now it's time for... The shootout where we uh, cover a few more issues in a bit more rapid style. I was going to say, oh, it's the uh, penalty shootout, isn't ah, it? Thank you, of course. Silly it's me. A World Cup it's episode. The penalty shootout. Jono, let's nice. steady on. Swap microphones. You should be doing this job. A uh, bit of social media news, Jono. A bit of, bit of trolling going on. We sort of touched yeah, on look, this just quickly. It's, um, the impact of trolling and negative social media has really uh, reared its head during the World Cup. A um, couple of examples. Robbie Cruz was the target of a fairly vitriolic social media campaign, um, accusing him basically of being the weak link in the Socceroos squad. And you alluded earlier to SBS presenter Lucy Zelich um, also being trolled for her mm. rigorous, rigorously <clears throat> researched pronunciations of footballers' names. What I thought was interesting, though, about this was that both times the negative commentary was called out. Um, called so in, out. Indeed. Yes. Um, yes. So in Cruz's case, um, his players drew it to the attention and they made a big deal of it in the various media conferences in the lead up to a couple of games and saying it was unacceptable. And in Zelich's case, the angry man himself, Craig <laughs> Foz Foster, very passionate man. He's he not angry. He's passionate and he's intense. He's pretty angry. Oh, okay. Um, he also brought it out in the open and slammed the trollers they, in prime time. And they did speak very articulately about that. I thought that was a very, very good segment when they yeah. were de- de- 
talking about the genesis of SBS and why it was important to immigrants. And I, I thought they made their points very, very well. We also had the, an example with the Swedish team, their midfielder, um, Jimmy Dumas, um, not of traditional Swedish extraction. And he gave away the free kick um, that led to Germany's last minute winner yeah. and was berated Incredible. with all kinds of racist abuse on social media. But the Swedish team as a whole um, made a video um, and responded very, um, okay. very strongly against it. And you've got to sort of wonder at the men- mentality of the social media troll because another one I heard about was um, trolls who were very, very upset about the Spanish players refusing to sing their national anthem in not only their first game but also their second game and lots of vitriolic abuse about this. Mm. They couldn't have been Spanish because they obviously didn't know that the Spanish anthem doesn't actually have any words. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. I've learned something else, something new today. Um, yeah, look, that the Foster-Zelich exchange, it's, it's five minutes of really good TV, actually. If you haven't seen that, it's worth looking at that uh, yeah, five minutes worth where uh, Fozzie goes into bat for Lucy Zelich there. She gets a bit emotional, but um, yeah, as you say, Gil, it's, it's very well explained. Okay, so uh, the Mexican captain, Rafael Marquez, he's in a spot of bother with the US, and it's led to some really interesting, tricky situations for him, Gilly, in, at this, in the context of this World Cup. Yeah, he's on what they call in the US the restricted parties list, which is part of this very Byzantine... Um, doesn't well, sound good, whatever it is. No, it's, it's part of the US um, export compliance regulations, which basically prevent American companies from dealing with the wrong people. And, and Rafa is on this list because he has alleged links with drug dealers um, in Mexico. So I, I work for a US company, and, and whenever we do a transaction with anybody um, anywhere in the world, we have to check the name of that person against the restricted parties list. Huh. Um, if the person is on that list and you still want to deal with them, you have to get a special approval from whichever regulator in the US looks after that. So, Which wouldn't be forthcoming very easily, I would have thought. Uh, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be easy, and you would never ask for it, really. It's just oh, like, okay. it's not the done thing. Right, right, okay. Yep. Yeah, so and to the point where, and, and this is how it sort of manifests itself in practical terms, um, because there's a number of sponsors that are American, this is where he hits the problem. So we've got McDonald's, uh, Bud, Coca-Cola, and Visa, all American companies, all sponsors, big sponsors of the, the tournament. So he can um, mark, he can't be seen in front of those brands. So if he was to win an award, you know that, that sort of sponsors wall that goes in behind, can't do it. He apparently has his own training jersey and water bottle, so that he isn't seen drinking Powerade, which is owned by by Coca Cola. Just extraordinary. How ridiculous is that? And he's um, staying in a different hotel as well. They've got to be careful about which airline they travel on because uh, they're barred effectively from travelling on an American-owned aircraft or presumably any any airline that has an American link. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a that's an issue. <laughs> he must be a good player. <laughs> He'd want to be, eh? <laughs> Oh, and finally, uh, on the shootout. Penalty shootout. Uh, the penalty shootout. Thank you, Jono. Golly gosh. Uh, Gilly, also with you, and yeah, returning now to your football expertise, uh, you, you've got some very important insights on some of the jerseys that have been used in the World fashion. Cup. Fashion. Fashion. Your, ju- your two strengths, Gilly, fashion and football. The two Fs. Right here. Right two Fs. Absolutely. Really, it's a sweet spot. <laughs> exactly. Look. I, I wish I could say the news for Australia was good. Mm. Um, the Daily Mirror, which, as we know, is a, a uh, res- very respectable, respectable <clears throat> Knows um, what it's talking about. It ranked all of the World Cup jumpers <laughs> from 1 to 64. What a fascinating article. I hope this is a short segment, Gilly. <laughs> and the Socceroos 
came in at 64th for our Dead last. Kit. Dead last. For the away kit. Which is the sort of baggy, baggy to, green. Yeah, dark. Baggy green colour. If you think of the Australian cricket yeah, team, the one day, it's the baggy uniform. green. So myrtle, sort of dark green. Myrtle. <laughs> which, which I thought what was really hard. Myrtle? It's myrtle green. Myrtle green. Let's go with, with myrtle Surely green. Surely maybe wattle green being Australian. D- dark wattle. Anyway, yeah, we digress. Nigeria's away kit Aye. is exactly the same. Exactly the same. And they were somewhere in the 40s. But Nigeria came first, I saw. Their lime green kit was uh, was number one. I think if we're talking fashion, though, it'd be remiss at Fashion of the World Cup. It'd be remiss mm. not to mention Foz, Craig Foster. Oh, back to um, Foz. Yeah, look, immaculately coiffed. He's got his Brioni <laughs> suit, his Italian loafers, <laughs> hair and stubble. You know, not a, not a hair out of place. I think he gets number one in my book. Wow. Okay. That's, okay, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, looking, uh, that, that'll do us for the shootout for this, this time around. Red card, yellow card. Yes, because we now need to uh, draw our attention to red card, yellow card, that segment where we love uh, bringing back into the spotlight some uh, actions that sports folk or related parties might uh, wish that we had forgotten. Favourite segment of ours. Jono, what have you got for us this time around? I've got two for you, Reggie. Uh, World Cup related. Uh, firstly, Good. Cristiano Ronaldo. So just prior to the World Cup, um, Cristiano was facing some tax fraud charges, which mm. were no doubt pretty stressful for him. But he actually reached a deal with the Spanish tax authorities on his charges. He agreed to pay a fine of 18 million euros in order to avoid a prison sentence. Now, this this deal, it was only announced a couple of hours before their opening game against Spain. Mm. Lo and behold, Cristiano goes out and scores a hat-trick. Good man. I think a large tax debt was a pretty motivating factor for CR7. Um, and I do suspect the hat-trick probably earned him more than 18 million euros in extra sponsorship <laughs> money. I think that's probably worthy of a nomination. Yeah, right. So yellow card for that, that punishment. Yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, look, um, I couldn't go past Diego Maradona. Ah. And it is off-field and he is misbehaving. Good, good. And he's a former sports star. What can Indeed. we say about him? Um Look, he's looking immaculately smooth-skinned and wrinkle-free. <laughs> I, I do note that the stomach stapling of a few years ago hasn't stopped him piling on the extra kegs mm. in recent times. But he's still a bit, a bit spherical, isn't he? He is. But there he was at the recent Argentina-Nigeria game. Very tense, must-win game for the Argies. Um, it's quite extraordinary. The, the TV cameras were panning across to him in the stands very, very regularly. Um, he was dancing one minute dozing in his seat the next, <laughs> praying the next minute. He actually got examined by a doctor at half time for apparent oh, really? chest pains. But the highlight, and I think the, the nomination mm. in my book, he gave the middle finger salute quite vigorously um, towards the end of the game after Marcos Rojo scored a late winner. Mm. And at the end of the, it all, he had to be helped out of his chair and out of the stadium. I think we should just out a red for that one. What do you reckon? Yeah, mm. red card. Diego is a, a loose cannon, I think. Would at, be a fair at the best of times. Gilly, what about yourself? Look, I don't know if we can actually call this a nomination, and it relates to Argentina as well. You might Good. remember um, last month we were talking about the instruction manual given to the Argentine squad oh, yes. before the World Cup, giving them tips on how to... Fraternise. Fraternise and seduce. With the local population. With the local population. You've got, a, you've got a follow-up to last show's red card, yellow card. Well, you know, lots of questions have been asked about the performance of the Argentinian Team. Our phones have been running hot, Reggie. Where's this going? Yeah. They, they're doing very poorly. And I, I think they're just confused because, A, they got this manual before the World mm-hmm. Cup, which gave them some very clear instructions. When, <laughs> when they got to Russia, they had a Russian politician from the Communist Party, Tamara Plet- Pletnyova, <laughs> who was basically very 
very stridently suggesting that Russian women should avoid foreigners at all costs during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was a hamburger company in Russia which was <laughs> offering Russian women both cash and, and free, free burgers, ha- free burgers for life uh-huh. if they could be impregnated by an international football player oh, right. with the stated aim of impru- improving the gene pool oh, of dear. footballing talent in oh, Russia. Wow. So, a, so a many- global hamburger Company. Global hamburger company, which I probably probably shouldn't mention, but I mean, don't. If, but we can assume if you if you're looking, not that one, not that oh, one, okay, the other the, one, the other one, right, the okay. other one, yeah. But if you're looking for reasons <laughs> to explain Argentina's poor performances, I mean, all all of these suggestions <laughs> and and motivations, it's it's no wonder Lionel Messi was um was looking troubled before before kickoff against Croatia. So it sounds like that's a, for the burger company. That's it, essentially the one that's been nominated. Yeah, what's the nomination? Red? I think it should be a red card. See, I think it's, I think yeah. it's red too. Look, yeah. I mean, it's it's unusual we drag brand, brands to the mud here, but I've I've got a brand uh, nomination as well. Um, look, a, a a credit card company that's that's not Visa because Visa is an official sponsor. This one isn't, and it's not American. Get it? Uh, they faced a big backlash on social media after they launched a campaign promising to donate the equivalent of 10,000 meals, not hamburgers, I think they're actually fed income meals, to malnourished children for every goal scored by Lionel Messi or Neymar in the World Cup. So their campaign was publicised on their official Twitter account in the Latin America and Caribbean. And one of the images uh, that was part of it said, for each goal scored by Messi or Neymar, 10,000 children will receive a meal. Can what what got ha, uh, how what thought process what? how as as someone on Twitter said so can you imagine Neymar steps up to take the penalty gives the keeper the eye and says if you save this you're taking food out of the mouths of 10,000 hungry children. <laughs> In the, one of Mastercard whoops I wasn't going to say their name one of their f- official press releases the goals scored by Messi and or Neymar Jr will now take on a new meaning over the next 21 months it wasn't just the world cup each goal represents an opportunity to unleash the power of a meal. Outrageous. Can, uh, apparently donations were made to, or were going to be made, to the UN's World Food Program. Uh, not surprisingly, the uh, campaign was pulled about a, about a week before the uh, the tournament kicked off. My God. And I'll, let the, 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 I'll, I'll leave the final word to the Times chief football writer, Henry Winter, who accused MasterCard of turning the World Cup into the Hunger Games. So there you go. I think that's another red. Red card. That's going to be yeah, a, a world record for the number of red cards we've dished out in red card yellow Some cards. pretty flagrant conduct. I Shocking. reckon. I reckon. Outrageous. Outrageous. Well, folks, that uh, that brings us to the conclusion of another exciting edition of red, of not just red card, yellow card, of more than just a game. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, folks, at NTJAG Grandstand. Uh, folks, I hope you manage to survive the rest of the World Cup and you get enough sleep. Gilly, you I'm actually few... boycotting the World Cup for 24 hours so I can actually catch on with some sleep for the last two weeks. Right, okay. Going to use sort of a self-imposed uh, rest day. Kind of thing. Good yep. stuff, good stuff. All right, Gilly, well, thanks for joining us and your, your expertise is always warmly welcome. Good thanks on you. Uh, Jono, you up for a good night's sleep as well? Oh, no, probably watch a couple of games. Power on. A few coffees tomorrow morning. It's all good. Good, good work. And it's goodbye for me. Paul Roach, thanks for joining us on More Than Just a Game. We'll be back to do it all again next time. Bye for now.